this whole idea of like a safe job that gives you the steady paycheck. Yeah, that's all great. And I understand that there is some benefit to having a steady paycheck. I understand that it can be very frightening in the beginning when you start your own business and you're like, I'm making a bunch of money this month. And then for three months, there's like, you know, nothing comes in. Like, you know, I understand that can be very stressful, but this is the way that the job market is headed. This is Debbie and welcome to another episode of Beat Off Beat Life, where I speak to inspiring individuals who ditched the norm to become location independent. We'll learn how to create sustainable laptop lifestyles from the experts that will help us achieve freedom from our nine to five. Hey friend, are you looking to land a remote gig ASAP? Well, did you know that we not only have a ton of online jobs you can apply to on our site, but now we are also sending them straight to your inbox. I'm happy to announce that we will be sending our email subscribers legit online jobs every Wednesday. We have done hours of research so you don't have to. If you want to be the first one to hear about the remote gigs we find, go to theoffbeatlife.com to subscribe. In this episode, I speak with Metco, who has been living as a digital nomad and has spent a majority of that time growing an agency from a small team of six to over 25 professionals, all working remotely. Mitko is also the host of the Remote Life Podcast, where he interviews entrepreneurs and thought leaders on the topics of business, remote work, global citizenship, economics, tech, and so much more. So listen on to find out how Mitko quit the cubicle and lives life on the road. Hey everyone, thank you so much for being here. I am really excited to speak with my guest today. I'm here with Metco. Hey Metco, how are you? Hey Debbie, I'm doing great. How are you? I am wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell us about you and why you live an offbeat life? Yes. Yeah, so like you mentioned, my name is Mikko. And actually, you and I have a very, very similar background in that I know that you immigrated to the United States. Uh, when you were quite young, and I immigrated from uh, Bulgaria when I was uh, about 10. And then both of us actually are college dropouts. Uh, I know that you dropped out of school, and I dropped out of school as well for very similar reasons, because uh, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And I thought that I was going to go do one thing. And while I was studying, I was actually studying biotechnology. And I was sitting there in this classroom and I just saw the rest of my life kind of flash before my eyes. And I just saw the suburbia, you know, house on on the cul-de-sac, all this kind of stuff. And it just freaked me out because I never imagined myself in that sort of lifestyle. And so I knew I had to do something drastic to make sure that I don't end up there. And so I dropped out of college and uh, yeah, joined the startup scene sort of thing, got really involved working with startups. And then discovered the digital nomad world and for the last four or five years i you know sometimes i forget i've been traveling full-time uh working completely location independently so uh yeah you know i feel like that's my offbeat life kind of thing that's amazing love it yeah we do have a lot of similarities and it's kind of interesting how life just takes you in so many different places you know and like you mentioned i think most of us were 
shown this life, especially as immigrants, you know, you have to live the American dream and there's a lot of expectations. And I'm sure it happened to you too with your family. Like you're here for a better future. And this is the future that we've set out for you. We sacrificed everything to come to America. (laughs) And then I was like, no, that's good. I'll just drop out. But thanks though. You know, (laughs) I know it's like, oh, my gosh, they did all of this stuff. And, you know, it it is in a lot of ways, there's a lot of burden on you, too, as as a child, as an immigrant and then child of immigrants, because you're expected to do all of these things. And when you don't follow a set of like rules that you're supposed to follow, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, my gosh, what happened to you? This is not what we all planned. Right. And it's so crazy how now. This is what a lot of people are doing. But before we were rebels. Now this is like Mm. what everybody else is doing. (laughs) So, you know, I'm very fortunate in that my parents have always been like very much like supporters of whatever it is that I was doing. And they never really put any sort of expectations on me. You know, they were always like, hey, we just want you to do whatever makes you happy. So in that way, I was very, very fortunate. Uh, I have a lot of immigrant friends who did not have a similar situation. Um, I will say though, that I like placed the burden on myself because even though my parents never said this to me, I always had this expectation of like, no matter what I do with my life, I need to like make a lot of money to take care of my parents to take care of my family since they've sacrificed so much. And that was like a burden that I carried around for a very long time. And I think served me negatively because I was always in whatever I was doing. I was like, where's the money? Where's the money? Where's the money? You know, like, and so I think that that was, it was certainly one of those things that I, I, I picked up as an immigrant child uh, along the way in terms of like a burden. That is absolutely true. And I think it's because our parents took care of their parents and then we want to take care of our parents. So this is the thing. It's not like we're told that we have to do it, right? It's just something that we see our family do. And it's not like my parents are like, well, you have to take care of us now or your your parents say that. It's just like you saw your parents take care of your grandparents and they did the same thing to their your great grandparents. So it's kind of like... I don't know. I guess it's like an inheritance (laughs) in some way that you're expected to do that. It's like an untold thing. But it's it's so true. We all have that on our shoulders. And that's why most of the time coming here, it's all about money. It's not really about being happy and making money. It's just Mm -hmm. surviving. Right. It's just to be able to survive because that's really what we were see like that's what we saw with our life with our parents and then coming to the United States and all of a sudden you have all of these possibilities then it takes a turn it switches for you so when did that happen for you exactly when that all switched and you were like I also need to do something for myself I also need to be happy by not only taking care of my family but also myself like I think one of the the beauties of what we do is that I don't need to choose one or the other. You know what I mean? Like there, I think I very early on realized what was happening, you know, with entrepreneurship. And I just saw the possibilities of that versus like going and becoming a lawyer or something like that, or like going to work a job, which to most people seems safe. But to me, there was just, I love this idea of 
I have unlimited potential as a business owner, as an entrepreneur. And I grew up, you know, in, a, in an entrepreneurial family. My dad was very entrepreneurial. And so I saw both the good sides and the ugly sides of that, but I knew how good it could be. And so for me, you know, this is what makes me happy. It's what I love to do. It's my hobby as well. It's like I nerd out on all sorts of things related to entrepreneurship and location dependence. And for me, it's like, yes, I get to do the thing that I love, but it also has this unlimited potential in terms of, you know, uh, financial benefits. And also like as an entrepreneur, as somebody who runs their own company, owns their own time, I have the ability to spend time with my family. Like for example, my uh, father and mother-in-law are coming in town and I'm able to take a week off and show them around Bulgaria where I'm at at the moment. And I didn't have to ask anyone's permission to do that. Right. So um, yeah, I don't think, I think I'm in a, in a fortunate case where the two things are sort of married, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think for the most part, a lot of us really go into this wanting that type of freedom that we don't have when you're in a nine to five or you don't own the business. But real reality, though, if you do own the business, a lot more is on your shoulders. And especially in the beginning, you're most likely going to be working more than your nine to five. Instead of a nine to five, it's probably going to be like a six to eight or a eight to eight. So um, it does have its ups and downs. But once you get it right, once you get your systems going, there is really no earning cap when you own your business like it does when you're in a nine to five, right? You can only go so far. And then what do you do from there? So there is a huge difference in that. And I love that you had your dad to, to show you that because it's hard. It, you know, entrepreneurship is hard. But when you have at least somebody that you can look up to and show you some of the way, it's it's pretty awesome to have that. And it's been really fun on the other hand now because my dad is now also a digital nomad. He was somebody who I've, oh, been, wow. telling, I've been telling him <laughs> about remote work and like, Hey, everything that you do in your business, you can do remotely. Like there's nothing stopping you. And he was always kind of like, yeah, like I understand that theory, but like, you know, he kind of wasn't sold on it. And he was already starting to take on clients remotely. And then COVID hit and essentially like forced him to like go all in. And now he's like here in Bulgaria for a month, which he hasn't been able to do since, you know, <laughs> we immigrated to the US. And he's like, this is pretty nice, you know? So on the flip side, now I'm helping him manage this whole remote world and how he can like do certain processes and set up so that like, you know, everything functions the way it should. So it's been really fun on the other end to now kind of like lead him, you know, down this path. So yeah. <laughs> I love how it went full circle, yeah. right? And then it's like now before the pandemic, everybody thought that what we did was so unstable and then it all switched. And it's like, how do we get to where you are? Because you could still work from home. You still had income when all of this stuff was happening. Like you weren't panicking as as most people were. And now there's so many business that are transitioning and so many more people are aware that this is actually something that is realistic for them, which is pretty incredible incredible. And I love seeing so many new people trying this and really enjoying it. You know, the interesting thing is you said everybody used to think that what we were doing was like unsafe or kind of scary or whatnot. But 
I don't think that was ever the reality. It's just that most people accept only the data points that they wanted to accept, right? They were accepting truths that weren't really truths. But if you were to kind of like come into it with like a fresh perspective and say, okay, what is the actual data? Like, what is the information telling me? What is safe? What's not safe? Where is the world going? What is the traje- trajectory that we're headed on? This was always going to happen, right? Remote was always going to take over. It was just a matter of time. It wasn't if it was going to happen. It was when it was going to happen. And COVID kind of came along and reduced what would have taken, let's say, 10 years and did it in one year. And I think the same thing is going to happen with entrepreneurship because this idea of the safe job, quote unquote, doesn't exist, right? The safest job that you can have is the one that you create for yourself. Because how many people going through COVID or you know the financial crisis before that had a nice safe job that they showed up to and they were just another head on the chopping block, right? So this whole idea of like a safe job that gives you the steady paycheck, yeah, that's all great. And I understand that there is some benefit to having a steady paycheck. I understand that. It can be very frightening in the beginning when you start your own business and you're like, I'm making a bunch of money this month. And then for three months, there's like, you know, nothing comes in. Like, you know, I understand that can be very stressful, but this is the way that the job market is headed. And we can talk about like why that is as well. It's becoming far more entrepreneurial. And the sooner that you accept that and you begin to build those entrepreneurial muscles that have atrophied because of your, you know, constant working for a boss and being so reliant and sort of like, soft, so to say, about, you know, working in a job, the better it's going to be for you. Because when there isn't an option to have a job and you have to be more entrepreneurial, you're going to have that muscle built. Yeah. And one of the things that I think a lot of people are afraid of is exactly that is going off on their own. Right. Because that's a scary thing when you have a job. It's a safety net. There's always income coming in every week or every month. And when you take that out, that's really the scariest thing for a lot of people. And that safety net is you know, what happens if I fail? What happens if I don't make money or I don't create income? And then you you talked about this too, is it's an up and down, right? One month you could be making, you know, five or six figures. And then the next month you may, you barely make four, even any. So when you have that up and down, Miko, especially when you first started this, this journey, this entrepreneurial journey, how did you kind of measure yourself so that, it is because it's a roller coaster. And I say this all the time. Entrepreneurship is kind of like being bipolar. One day you're super happy and the next day you're really depressed. <laughs> How do you flex those entrepreneurial muscles that you're talking about so that you can ride the wave? Because it is constantly a wave, especially in the beginning. And honestly, we've been doing this for several years and it still is. There's still waves happening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is just, it just comes down to experience and, you know, having like hindsight because I remember like, you know, when you become, you know, entrepreneurial and maybe you score like a big client, all of a sudden, you know, like 10, 20 K land in your account. You're like, Oh, I'm a baller now. Like we got money. (laughs) 
<laughs> only upwards from here, right? And then you know how this works is when you work with clients or you do projects, you might get like a big whale and then you might not have anything for a few months. But what happens if you don't have experience, you don't know how this goes, you look at this big whale and you think that that's going to be the pattern, you know, is that every month this is going to happen because you're used to that happening at a job, right? The same amount of money landing in your bank account every month. And so you don't have this muscle of like, okay, I need to spread this out, right? How do I make sure that this, you know, lasts me for at least the next few months until the next whale hits, right? And this happened for me when, uh, you know, I remember when this happened and for me, it landed right around Christmas, which guess what happens around the holidays is nobody that you want money from wants to talk about money, right? It's one of the most <laughs> difficult times to sign new clients because everybody's <laughs> on vacation, right? And so here I am, you know, kind of like I had had this big spike and now I need to go find the next, you know, client and nobody wants to talk to me because everyone's out for the holidays or whatnot. And so it was one of the most depressing periods of, of you know, my entrepreneurial career because I was like, it's like this like spread of like two, three months where you're like, am I a failure? Am I a fraud? Because nobody is interested in this kind of stuff. I thought that I could always figure things out and all of a sudden I can't figure this out right now. And what ended up happening was that around, I think, the end of January, when people kind of like got back to the swing of things, clients started coming in again, right? But there was this, I remember this, this period of time where I was like, what is happening? Like everything's falling apart around me. And so now looking back, like this kind of stuff doesn't really stress me out because A, I've planned for it. And I know that this is kind of how things work. And But I'm also, whenever there is a big landfall of client work or something like that, you know that this isn't like, oh, now we have all this money to blow this month. It's like, okay, no, this is money to drive. You know, we just, we are on a road trip and we just stopped at the gas station, right? You don't just floor the pedal to the metal and burn that entire gas tank right away, right? You kind of drive leveled and spread that gas out across hundreds of miles until you get to the next gas station. That's a terrible analogy or, or metaphor. <laughs> I never know which one's which, but, you know, just try to get my point across here. <laughs> but you know it's interesting because I I feel like when I started being an entrepreneur which was years and years ago and I failed like three businesses that I started and it was horrific but I also learned a ton right mm -hmm. and then when I started this business that I have now it just started to take off fairly quickly and it was within maybe half of a year maybe 5 months and then we started I started making income from it. And then within eight months, I was making, you know, more than my day job. And it was really interesting because I actually realized that if this has if this happened to me in my first business, I would not have understood what on earth to do with my clients or with the success, right? Or how to ride the ride the wave that you're talking about, Miko. Because after that eight months, then it was quiet for several months. And if I didn't know that this is a wave that mm -hmm. you're talking about and understanding how to budget, understanding how to have hindsight, it would have been very depressing, right? Because you have this huge ride, right? Like that you're just surfing and then all of a sudden you just fall and you keep falling and you keep falling and you're like, what the, like, what is happening? What's happening to me? Like you're talking about, you know, did, did I just have a fluke? Like, is this just a one-time thing? Like, is this going to happen again? 
And I always feel like the universe really prepares you for something that you're going to need to get ready for. Because if you're not ready for that, then it's not going to happen, right? It's going to fail. And I think it's pretty interesting because a lot of people just want to succeed right away. But I do notice that when you do succeed right away, you don't understand how to actually deal with it. And it doesn't last for very long, right? Have you seen like these lottery winner shows where they win the money and then after like a year or two, they absolutely lose everything. And then they're like back to square one. I feel like it's kind of like that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think there's this concept that doesn't get talked about enough in entrepreneurship, which is of exit velocity. So you talked about having two, three failed businesses, right? And you might look at them as failures, but one of the things that you said was that you learn from them, right? And each one of those failures built up your exit velocity, right? The same way that like a rocket has to build up a certain amount of speed in order to leave Earth's orbit, that's its exit velocity, right? You need a certain amount of exit velocity for everything to start to click. And in the very beginning, you might not have had enough of that velocity built up to leave, right? You didn't have enough experience. Maybe your product market fit wasn't very good. Your sales were probably, you know, you, you probably weren't that good of a salesperson, right? You, you hadn't had enough of those conversations to learn from them. And there's several different ways to build up this exit velocity, but I think people need to look at it more this way, right? Like, okay, you know, there's 10 things that I need to get right in order for this work. And this time around, I only got two right. Next time, I'm going to get it up to five, right? That's not, maybe that's not going to be enough to cut it. Then I need to get up to, you know, to get up to that 10. You know, the thing is that we almost need to relearn everything once we jump into entrepreneurship, because don't forget that the education system that we go through was developed during the industrial revolution. And our education system is built to create factory workers, right? Maybe not in the factory, but it's basically that same style. Like think about the way that work is at the moment. It's not very entrepreneurial. People want you to fall in line to do, you know, what it, you know, you're part of, you're a cog in the system. And so when you all of a sudden leave that system, the education system has not prepared for you to be in this new existence. And you need to relearn. And part of like gaining this exit velocity of those tries and failures is you relearning all of those lessons and figuring out how to work outside of that system that that we're essentially taught to be a part of. I absolutely agree with that. I mean, I think, honestly, you're right. The educational system sucks when it comes to preparing us for the real world, especially for entrepreneurship. Like it just doesn't do that at all. Like we're not even taught how to budget our money. Like that should be the most basic thing. We're not even taught how to like deal with taxes, right? These are things that we really need to be taught as as young children. And you don't learn that unless you go to school and specifically seek that out. So you're right. It's like we're always taught to be employees, right? Like you said, just to follow along, not to have our own mind. And it's hard to think for yourself when you're taught your whole life not to do that. And when you start doing it, there's going to be a lot of things that are not going to go right. And this is, I think that's why a lot of people are not equipped 
for failure, even though we fail. Like as an entrepreneur, you can, you can, um, I'm sure attest to this, Michael, you fail every day as an entrepreneur and you learn every day from these failures that make you keep getting better. And that's why you succeed. But there's also a lot of people who are not equipped to that, right? They're not equipped to, to handle them or even hearing the word no, from mm-hmm. from people, which is really interesting. And then when you start kind of getting yourself in that groove, then you're saying, you know, I think you mentioned this before, like you start getting used to it and you're just like, eh, just another one, you know, off to the next one. What's next? So it's it's kind of interesting. It's it's relearning everything that you're you're taught and teaching yourself and also surrounding yourself with the people that are also in the same journey. And that's why I love talking to to someone like you, because, you know, we're like, yeah, this is what we're all going through. Like, you know what I'm talking about, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, this, this all makes me think of um, when my wife graduated from college, you know, I didn't graduate from college, but my wife did. Uh, when we went to her graduation ceremony, this girl got up to introduce the person who was going to be presenting the the graduate, I don't know, the commencement speech, I guess it was called. And she said that this professor taught her, you know, one of the most valuable lessons. It was like the thing that she you know, now walking away from college, it's like one of the most important things that she's been told. And I'm like waiting at the edge of my seat. Like, I can't wait to hear what this is. And she just goes, FIO, figure it out. And I was like, okay, well, that was like not special. Like I was expecting some sort of like, (laughs) you know, the answer to life sort of thing. But it is this idea of like, I think as entrepreneurs, we need to FIO. We need to figure it out way more. And we need to be comfortable with this idea of like, I don't know what the answer is and I need to go figure out even where to figure it out, right? Because sometimes it's not as easy as to just figure out the answer. It's like, I need to figure out first where to look to figure out the answer, right? Mm-hmm. But when you're in this sort of, I think the the education system prepares you in this kind of like coddled way where it's like, there's always this path that's kind of figured out. And then when you go work for somebody, there's always somebody there that you can be like, hey, Joe, how do you do this? Or like, you know, whatnot. And you're never really trained to have this sort of like, I don't know what the answer is. Why don't you break it or try to break it and then figure it out, right? Like get out there and throw some stuff, throw some darts at the board and see what works and be okay with not hitting the bullseye right away, but figuring out what went wrong and then retesting and retrying. And actually, I think this is something that, for me has been really helpful having a science background. Like I said, I studied biotechnology in college and even way before that, I was in a biotechnology program in high school. And I look at business exactly the way that, you know, you look at an experiment, you know, in in a science class, you have a problem and you have a hypothesis of how that problem is solved, right? So you go out there and you test your hypothesis. And once you run the experiment, you get to uh, analyze the results and see, okay, well, did this work? Did it not work? If it didn't work, what variables do I need to change in order to retest that hypothesis and run that experiment again? And I think that looking at it from that viewpoint has really helped me go with like, oh, I need to go out there and figure this out. And I might run the experiment the first time. Like, you know, you said you did, you built one business, didn't work. A second business didn't work. A third business didn't work. You were just running the experiment and every time changed the variables until it worked. And so that's just like a way for me, I think, to remove myself from this, 
you know, constant up and down and roller coaster of emotions that is business and say, it's just an experiment. We're just testing a hypothesis. Yeah, it's it's really that's the thing right there is not to take things personally. And I think whenever something doesn't go your way or exactly the way you want the experiment to go, you take it personally, right? Then you start feeling bad about yourself, like it's a reflection of who you are. Um, And then another thing that I wanted to talk to you about, Tumiko, is this mentality that we have as entrepreneurs of constantly hustling. And then when we don't get the results right away, like, again, there's something wrong with us. And then we compare ourselves to other entrepreneurs who I know we hear this all the time, have probably been in business for like 10, 20 years, and we're literally comparing ourselves and we've been in business for two or three years. Right. Um, And there's always this constant thing. I'm, I'm a New Yorker. I, you know, I live here. I grew up here and I see this all the time and it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to stop yourself and just being okay with slowing down and like resting, or maybe, you know, the work doesn't have to be that fast for you to figure it out. And maybe because you're rushing so much, you're not figuring it out the right way. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, Mitko, but it's I think that's definitely one of the things that I've learned throughout this whole thing is actually slowing down has allowed me to learn more and taking things out. Right. Saying no to things that we don't need has been so crucial to to all of this. Yeah, you know, if I have to be completely transparent, I've never identified myself as a hustler. So, like, <laughs> I am, like, I remember I got really interested in, in web development. I thought I was going to be a web developer because I had a mentor who told me that the best web developer is, or the best coder is a lazy coder because they always want to get it done with as, as little code as possible which is the best kind of code, right? Like the simpler the code is, the better it is. I was like, oh, this is perfect for me, man. Like, you know, a place where you get rewarded for doing less work. That's awesome, you know? For me, I am not somebody who is like, uh, you know, I have friends who are crazy hustlers and they're all constantly putting in 10, 12 hour days. And, and a part of me like really wishes that I had that bone in my body because I kind of look at them I'm like, oh man, like they're constantly doing more than me. Like they're constantly, you know, like out hustling me. They put in more work, what kind of stuff. But what I look at is like, look, that's one of my, you know, weaknesses. But usually where your biggest weakness is, is also where your biggest strength is, right? And one of the things that I always look at is like, okay, maybe I'm not going to spend as many hours in front of the computer as some of my friends. But what that means is that every single hour that I spend in front of the computer needs to be that much more powerful. And this is somewhere, uh, this is a place where like some of Naval's writings have been really helpful. Uh, and Eric Jorgensen, who has been on my podcast and wrote um, The Almanac of Naval, he's been really helpful to me with this is uncovering leverage, right? And always working out of like, okay, if I only have an hour or two to work on whatever this project is, what is the most important thing that I can get done today that will then make everything else unnecessary or easier, right? And so I think that if you're somebody who has a hustler mindset, like I would almost like challenge yourself to do this where it's like you are only allowed, like, you know, don't do it every day, but say one day a week, I'm only allowed to work three hours. So if I only have three hours to work, 
what are the things that I'm going to work on that will make everything else easier or unnecessary, right? And so drive that hustle and that need to like be the best and, you know, be competitive and, you know, get the highest score at the game and whatnot. Focus that in that direction and you're almost like hacking your hustle if that makes sense because then those three hours are going to be so valuable and so leveraged that you're like, okay, like th- those are the rules of the game and I won the game and now I get to leave, you know, the workplace. You just need to set some boundaries, but like really hustle within those boundaries. I love that challenge. We should all do it. Do you do that? Do you challenge yourself yeah. to do that? Okay, let's all do it. <laughs> so, I mean, I usually like, for example, every other week, this is sort of like my way of doing it because slightly different. Every other week I take a Friday off and I take that and I call it fun Friday. And I worked on, and I work on whatever project I want to work on, whether it's, you know, some complete out of the blue one day I built a beer website, you know, and like just play. And for me, that's Love my it. way of like, you know, I like to spend 10 to 20% of my working time on something completely non-related because sometimes that's where the really interesting things come from. And so, yeah, what that means is that if I have one less day this week to work on, you know, my business, I need to get it done in four days, right? So that's kind of like a mini way of doing that. Yeah, I've, so for me, I call myself a lazy entrepreneur because yeah, I'm a lazy entrepreneur, but a lot of that really comes from delegation. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was so interesting because my podcast now is pretty much almost 100% passive, right? So my assistants, my editors do everything. And then there was one day and I was like, what have I been doing? Why am I not spending any time on my show? Like, I feel so lazy. How come I took off like all these days? And then I realized shit is getting done. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not even there and stuff is getting done. I'm like, oh yeah, it's because I have a whole team that goes along with it. So it comes after a while, but you can definitely get there. And like you said, you don't have to constantly hustle in order to do things right. And I love that exercise, that challenge that you mentioned, because I think every entrepreneur should definitely do that. Because a lot of times it's kind of like school, right? You go to school and most or half of your day is just doing nothing, Mm -hmm. right? You're just wasting time and you're kind of doing things just to do things, honestly. But when you're hyper-focused for a few hours a day, then you're actually getting things done that will move your business, not just busy work. So that is such a great challenge to do for everybody. I Love that. That's such a great idea. (laughs) Well, yeah. And actually, I'm just like you, you know, like, that's my thing as well Is like, I am, I work with SOPs and operations a lot. And so for me, it's like, yeah, I might not be, you know, the most hustler person, but I'm very good at delegating and creating systems around Mm -hmm. things need to get done and how to automate them. So Anytime you can figure out a system for, you know, getting something done that you do manually, usually the quality will also be better as, you know, as opposed to you doing it every single time over and over again. Yeah, love that. It's just all about system, systematizing everything. So, Mitko, let's fast forward to 50 years from now and you're looking back at your life. What legacy would you like to leave and what do you want to be remembered for? 50 years from now? Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be remembered for laying the groundwork for this new location-dependent lifestyle because 
I really think we're just getting started. And I think when you accept the truth that right now is the first time in civilization that our economic growth is completely separated from our geographic location, everything changes. My parents, if they were living through this today, wouldn't have to immigrate to the United States to give my family a better life. They could just get a remote job living in Bulgaria working for a U.S. company. And when you kind of internalize that idea and you see what dominoes fall down because of that, you come to realize that the world that our kids are going to be living in 50 years from now is a world that is drastically different than the one that we're living in right now. And I love to be an early adopter of these things. And so if there's an article 50 years from now that talks about how, you know, I saw it coming and kind of helped to bring it into reality, I would be, I'd be super stoked. So I would say if I had, you know, that would be my answer. (laughs) That is such a great legacy to have because you're right. Like, Thinking about it, you know, our parents wouldn't have done what they did, right? And it's a lot of suffering, you know, Mm -hmm. to be honest, it's a lot of suffering. You literally leave everything that you know. And also, it's most likely going to, you know, relieve a lot of the suffering that a lot of immigrants are facing right now, right? Um, In a lot of these different countries. So love that. That is such a great legacy. I'm so glad we're in this industry because it does. It really changes people's lives. Well, thank you so much for being here. I like really thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. I love talking to you so much. If our listeners want to know more about you, where can they find you? Yeah. So um, if you thought, you know, if you enjoyed this conversation, uh, I also have a podcast called That Remote Life where, you know, I get to talk to some really, really interesting people, uh, some of the biggest thought leaders uh, in this space and and in this entire revolution and transition. So, yeah, if you want to check out the podcast is That Remote Life. And then uh, my Instagram is Mitkoka. I'm basically Mitkoka, M-I-T-K-O-K-A, all over social media. And If you're building a business, I have a membership, a community called Parable. You can find that at joinparable.com where we uh, create case studies of real world location independent businesses. So you get to see a behind the scenes look at exactly how a business like this works at everything, all the information. What do they use to build the business? How much money does the business make? How much money did it make when it first got started? When did they hire? How did they hire? All that information. Uh, is available on that. So um, yeah, I'd say that's those are the three best ways to get in touch with me. Perfect. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you and love uh, hearing your story and your journey. Thanks again, Mikko. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Mikko. Make sure to visit theoffbeatlife.com. Again, that's theoffbeatlife.com to get the extended interview where he shares how to find out your minimal viable income to become location independent. Hey friend, have you been wanting to start a podcast? I know it can be overwhelming in the beginning. Believe me, I have been there. Lucky for you, we have created a new site called howtocreatepodcast.com that shares a ton of freebies that can help you get started. From launching, growing, to monetizing, we share it all in one place. Visit howtocreatepodcast.com for more information.
Hey listeners, thank you for listening to this episode and I'm so thankful for your support. I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode and get suggestions on guests, topics we can discuss, and so much more. Feel free to reach out at hello at theoffbeatlife.com and let me know what you'd like to hear. If you like the show, don't forget to give us some love and review on iTunes. Thank you again for being a part of this journey and I can't wait to hear how your location-independent story will unfold. Thank you.